I was thinking about um, the theme for this uh, this week, this this Sunday. I was thinking about how we have so many things in our life that we these days that kind of can just measure, like automatically measure how we're doing. Like I don't know how many people have like those watches or like Fitbits, you know, or like the little iWatch or whatever that just kind of measure like how you're doing on your fitness. Just automatically, how many steps did you get? How many calories did you burn today or whatever? And it can just tell you, this is how you're doing on your health. And just like measuring it automatically. Or you can get sleep apps that are like, uh, just, I used to have one for when I was sleeping. You put your phone next to you on the bed, and then it can like measure like how good your sleep was. Like how much were you rolling around? Did you have like, you know, a lot of deep sleep? Or were you really restless during the day or during the night as you're sleeping? Maybe, maybe you're sleeping during the day because you work third shift, but... Uh, but you know, there's it's like you can get all these things that are automatically measuring how you're doing. Uh, and so, uh, we, when Katie and I moved into our house, we got had a home inspection when we were moving in. And then the the home inspector gave us this list of here's all the little things that are wrong with your house. And so we kind of used that as like, okay, over time, here's the stuff we're gonna fix. And so we can like use that as like a measurement of how are we doing. And so we can, when it comes to like improving things or getting better or change, we want to see, uh, okay, we have things that, uh, we have motivation. This is uh, kind of where that's coming from, what's pushing me to do it. And then we can have like the way we're measuring how that's going. And then we have like, well, here's the why of what I, how I'm doing that. And we have like things that are automatically measuring it, you know. So when you decide to change something, uh, what gives you the motivation uh, to do so? And when it comes to our spiritual lives, we can kind of ask the same thing. Okay, where does the motivation come from to do that? Um, why are we deciding to do that? And how do we measure uh, where, how we're changing? Like, we don't have a little you know, wristwatch that's um, giving us this readout of, like, how I'm doing and uh, automatically giving us little graphs and stuff of, like, this is how my spiritual life is going. And, like, well, okay, why would I want to change? What's motivating me to do it? Uh, what, what's the purpose of it? What's like the end goal? In our spiritual life, we can maybe feel like, I don't know how I'm doing. and Or we aren't, we're measuring it against other people, or just how I'm feeling that day, or against uh, other things. How do we measure how we're doing in our spiritual life? And we're in our tenth week of this sermon series called Good News, with an exclamation point. And this series is focused on the gospel. The good news about who God is, and what he's done, for Jesus Christ. Uh, and our world has changed. Who God is and who we are because of him hasn't. And this week we're continuing this three-week theme that we've been doing. Uh, and there's a bit of a grammar lesson here because you can think of these as, uh, this three-week theme as these three tenses of salvation, you know, past, present, future. Uh, so we, we have been saved from the penalty of sin, past. We are being saved from the, the power of sin, present. We will be saved from the presence of sin, future. And so salvation is past, present, future. If you are reading your New Testament, you'll notice various times when uh, the authors sometimes will say, oh, you have been saved, or you are being saved, or you will be saved. And it's like, okay, well, which one is it? Am I already saved? Am I being saved? Or is that a future thing? Like, I'm, I'm kind of confused, but it's all three. And today we're looking at salvation as a present event, how we are being saved. And the passage we're looking at is 2 Peter, uh, the one Bob read, uh, chapter three, or chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And this is 
a dense, the first, at least the first part, and most of it is dense. It's kind of like if you're walking through the woods and you lose a ball or something, or you're going to try to take your own path. It's kind of like you're trying to get through these bushes, and you're like, how do I get through this thing? And when you're going through this passage, you're like, how do I get through this? It's like kind of dense, and you don't really know uh, maybe which way to go. And I kind of wish I had just this huge printer, so I could just put the whole thing up here and like kind of circle things and underline things and show you how it's a... how it's all working, um, but I because I don't, uh, I encourage you to have a Bible open as we go through it, and hopefully you can notice some words as we go through it that'll help you. Uh, but if I was to summarize this passage in just kind of one neat little statement as a big idea, uh, this is what I would boil at least part of it down to. So here's a big idea if you want to write it down. It's that uh, Jesus is all we need to be like Jesus. So make every effort to become like him. Jesus is all we need to be like Jesus. So make every effort to become like him. Jesus is all we need to be like Jesus. So make every effort to become like him. If you want something to write on, we have the little uh, the tree um, diagram is over there on the table if you want to use that. So Jesus is all we need to be like Jesus. So make every effort to become like him. We're going to break, is it writing that down? I'm going to try something real quick. I'm going to turn that mic off. I kind of hear like sometimes my voice is like doing a weird thing. So I'm going to try turning this mic off quick. Maybe it's just me hearing it. Maybe that'll be better. I think my voice was going from the speaker into that mic and, or my voice was getting caught in it sometimes. So that might be better. So, uh, so we're going to. So Jesus is all we need to be like Jesus. To make every effort to become like Him. We're going to break the passage into three parts. And the first half of the big idea, which is Jesus is all we need to be like Jesus, comes from verses uh, three and four. And then the second half of the big idea, which is so make every effort to become like Him, comes from verses five through seven. And then verses 8 through 11 is going to explain the, the results of living that way or failing to live that way. What are the results? So let's start by, uh, with, with Jesus is all we need to be like Jesus, looking at verses 3 to 4. And so Peter says this. He starts off by saying, okay, in verse 3, he says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So we start off by asking, whose divine power are we talking about? And you'd be like, well, of course it's God. But okay, is it God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? Um, in Peter's mind, it doesn't really matter. Uh, he, did, he just got done telling us, if we went back up um, to verse 1, um, he says, uh, to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you ever are wondering, like, where in the Bible does it like clearly say that Jesus is God? This is one of those spots. The righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He calls Jesus God explicitly God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Calling Jesus God. And he says in verse 2, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So God, God the Father, and of Jesus our Lord, God the Son, named there. So, okay, which one is verse 3 then referring to? His divine power. I mean, it's kind of a toss-up. It could be... He doesn't really care who it's referring to. It's like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's Trinity, they all work together in tandem, but the most 
uh, near reference is Jesus our Lord, so let's take it as Je- it's referring to Jesus. So uh, it could be either, but let's say Jesus. Um, so Jesus' divine power he's, is who he's talking about. And what does Jesus' divine power do? It says his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And we could take this as, okay, life, does that mean just kind of like my, my life as I'm living it? Like, you know, just kind of the things I do every day? Maybe, but often the Bible's talking about eternal life, like knowing God and having eternity with him, eternal life. And godliness could be, you know, okay, this is a life lived in the image of God, like reflecting what he's like awareness of God, but we could take these together too, a, a godly life, a lifestyle of godliness, of awareness of God and living pleasing to him. And that's what a lot of uh, scholars take it as. This is a life of godliness, a godly life. And so Jesus' divine power gives us all things pertaining to live a godly life. Oh, well that's pretty nice. Jesus' divine power has not left anything out for us to live a godly life. Okay, so how? How has he done this? It's not just like, well, how do we get this thing that he wants to give to us? Where does this power come from? Peter goes on, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through, and if you want to look for these connection words, through is a nice connection word, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So Jesus' divine power is granted to us through the knowledge of him through the knowledge of Jesus, through knowing Jesus. We get Jesus' divine power through knowing Jesus. By being in relationship with Jesus, we receive divine power. And then look how Peter describes Jesus. He describes him as him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And if you're looking in an ESV Bible or other Bible translations, I'm sure, but my, uh, my Bible has, with the word to there, right before glory his own glory and excellence. Mine has a little note that says this could also be translated as by. It's just a little phrase, you know, just one little word. It's like, it could be translated as to or by. So it's like he called us by his own glory and excellence. And so what does that mean? It's a, the verse could say, through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So, okay, so by showing us his glory and excellence, we were called by that. He shows us his glory and excellence. We're called by his glory and excellence to him, like we're drawn to him. It's almost like you're driving down the road, Katie and I were just driving up Lake Avenue, and have you guys seen, what is it, uh, what's it called, the auto place up there, the Coons Country, Coons Country Auto, whatever it's called, I think it's called, and uh, we were driving, and all of a sudden we see this car on this like rotating platform, it's like a really nice car, and I was like, what in the world? I I was like, why would they spend the money to put it on this rotating platform? And I was like, well, it did get me to notice it, and then we were like, yeah, that's why they spent the money, because <laughs> I would have never looked at that car unless there's on this rotating platform thing, and it's like, okay, there's like, whatever you want to call it, there's this glory and excellence to this rotating car up in the air, it's a really nice, like, sports car. Okay, now, I was called to look at that by its glory and excellence of this rotating car, you know, it's not comparative to Jesus, but I was called by that thing's glory and excellence up in the air, rotating sports car. So now, Jesus... His glory and excellence were called by that to him, into relationship with him, by seeing, you know, like a mountain. It's like if you're driving along and you're like, oh, I see this mountain. I'm like, how do I get to that? And sometimes when Katie and I have been on hiking trips, we've seen like a waterfall, and it's like, how do we get on a trail to get to that? It's like there's glory there, there's excellence there. That thing is like, 
awesome. I want to get to that thing. And so Jesus, by showing that, we're called by that to him. We're drawn to him. And so that's how he gets us into relationship. These two words, glory and excellence. Glory speaks to his weightiness, his importance, the radiance of his presence. Excellence speaks to his moral quality and character. He's perfect. And our eyes were open to, to see his own glory and excellence. We were enabled to experience Jesus for who he is. And that uh, melted our hearts of stones so that we responded to him with surrender. He called us to himself by revealing himself to us and so we could know him for who he is. And this verse tells us that we would never come to Jesus on our own. We were called to him by him. He brought us to himself. We need to be called. We need to be brought by him to know him. Peter goes on. So this verse is saying, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through what? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his own precious and very great promises. And by which, this is another connector, by which refers back to his own glory and excellence. So, by his own glory and excellence, Jesus has granted to us his precious and very great promises. And you could tell a lot about someone by how they talk and what they talk about. And you also trust people at different levels, depending on who they are. What they say, you're going to trust it based on who they are. And Jesus has spoken, it tells us precious and very great promises. And we can tell a lot about who he is based on what he's said. You know, we can tell a lot about a person based on what they said. And what has, what has he said? Precious and very great promises. And we can tell, what can we tell about him then? That he's glorious and excellent. And we can trust what he said because of who he is. He's spoken precious and very great promises. And why can we trust those? Because he's glorious and excellent. It's because of who he is that we have been granted precious and very great promises. And just let those words sink in. Like, what has Jesus spoken to me? Precious and very great promises. If you know Jesus, you've been granted this, that those things to you. You've been given promises. And what are his promises? I mean, just to name a few, go through the Bible, and that's what God is about. Uh, that he will be with us always. That he will never leave us or forsake us. That he will come again to judge the living and the dead. That he will make this whole world new. That he'll be our advocate. That he will give us eternal life to all who believe in him. That he'll give us the Holy Spirit and many more. And what is the result of him giving us these promises? Verse 4 says this. So that through them, through his precious and very great promises. And so that, that's another nice little phrase that you can look for. This is us trying to get through this very dense bush of... A forest, so that through his precious and very great promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. A change occurs in us through these promises. And these two realities that Peter describes here are two sides of the same coin. Because through the promises, we become, on one side of the coin, partakers of the divine nature. And that doesn't mean that we become God, but as people made in God's image, we become better bearers of that image. We take on more of his character and likeness. We 
We were made in God's image originally, but we fell to sinful desire, and so that image was corrupted and tainted in us. It's like if you were looking at an old statue of somebody that's been dirtied and chipped and marred, you can no longer tell whose image it was made in. That's like us. We were made in God's image and likeness, but we're no longer reflecting him or representing him. We're like you know, broken or like really dirty mirrors. And we were like, and when we trust in Jesus, we turn away from sinful desire and we leave the corruption of the world that's corrupted our, our, our world, this mirror that's supposed to be reflecting God. And that's why this verse describes two sides of the same coin. Through knowing Jesus, through receiving his promises, we're renewing God's image. And the other side of the coin is that we're leaving behind the sinful desires that corrupt us. That's a, so it's leaving the sinful desires that are corrupting the image. And now also... Being partakers in the divine image, renewing that image in us, and so that's just two verses. But they're sick, you know. We just you know, we're walking through this, like you know, crawling through these bushes, and it's like, how do we get out of this thing? It's like very thick. So let's return to the first half for our big idea and sum this up. Jesus is all we need to be like Jesus. Peter says we've been granted two life-changing gifts. In verse. Three, he says, Jesus' divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. In verse 4, he says, Jesus has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that became, we might become partakers of the divine nature. He uses the same word twice. Granted, divine, his divine uh, power is granted to us all things pertain to life and godliness. And Jesus has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So we've been granted these two life-changing gifts, divine power, divine promises. And they have one source, divine person. The end of verse 3 says the divine power comes through knowledge of Jesus, who called us by his own glory and excellence. And verse 4 says the promises were granted by his own glory and excellence. And so these divine power and divine promises are coming from the same divine person. That's who they're flowing from. From Jesus' person flows power and promises. Power flows from who he is. His promises flow from who he is. And we sum it up by saying, Jesus is all we need. In knowing him, knowing who he is, that's where the divine power flows from. That's where the divine purposes flow from. And it all ends up doing the same action in our lives, which is divine change. And Peter first describes it as all things that pertain to life and godliness in verse 3. And then he describes it as partaking in the divine nature. In verse 4, who is the ultimate example of the divine nature in a human being? Who is the ultimate example of a divine life? Jesus. God's goal is to conform us to the image of Christ. And so we sum up this this first part by saying, Jesus is all we need to be like Jesus. Jesus is the divine person. He's given us divine power and divine promises which do this divine change in our life. Jesus is all we need. To be like Jesus. He calls us to himself. He gives us himself. And he brings us into relationship with himself. So we can know him. Enjoy him. And be like him. He's all we need to be like him. And so often we feel like. I need something more. And I need something more to grow. Like I need to find the next thing. The newest thing. And often when I'm testing any sort of system. Somebody's telling me like. This is like the. The next you know, book, you know, get this book or like do this. Need to change. And I'm always, I always come back to this passage, 
And this is Peter living 2,000 years ago, telling these people that don't have any of the technology we have, any of the books that we've had written, anything that we you know, can do today, and you know, any of the phones that we have, he's telling them, you have everything you need to grow into Christ-likeness. But man, they don't have any of the stuff that we have. And so anytime I'm like thinking, I just need more in my life, or I need this, this next new thing. So they, don't, they don't even have printed Bibles. They don't even have this in their hands. And he's telling you, you have all you need. They have the Holy Spirit. They have a community of believers. They have people among them teaching them uh, about Jesus. So you have all you need to grow in Christ's likeness. And so often we can feel like, God, you're holding out on me. Like, you need to give me more. I don't have all I need. I need to find the next thing. I'm just missing something. But the good news is that the power of sin has been broken in our lives and no longer has dominion over us is that we have all we need to grow in godly lives and to have the image of God renewed in us. And so that's where Peter starts. But there's more to it. So let's keep reading in verses 5 through 7. He says this in verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And so these verses give us the second half of our big idea. Jesus is all we need to be like Jesus, so make every effort to become like him. Jesus is all we need to be like Jesus, so make every effort to become like him. And Peter starts verse 5 like this. For this reason, Peter has told us that Jesus is all we need to be like Jesus. Everything has been given to us to live a godly life. Everything has been given to us to be renewed in the image of God and leave behind sinful desires. And now he's telling us because of that, we ought to make every effort to supplement our faith with these seven qualities that he then lists. And so what's, what's Peter saying here? What's he trying to tell us? And let's use the boxes that we've been using. Um, we've used in the last two weeks. So let me draw them here. So we used the box last week of this. That so we have our box on the left. That's uh, standing. You probably can't see it. Standing with God. This is like our position before God and what we... How God sees us, our status with Him, our standing with Him. We talked about last week how uh, we someone puts their faith in Jesus. We saw that last week that we're, we put our faith in Jesus. We're now saved from the penalty of our sin. Even though we're sinful, we're deserving of God's condemnation and wrath. Jesus took the punishment for you. You're now declared righteous in God's sight. You're you're forgiven. You're reconciled. God is. For you, he's never against you. You're fully loved, and so this is all true. So we are uh, with God. We are righteous, forgiven, reconciled. For God is for you, not against you. Fully loved. We are adopted children no matter what we do. And this, 
We've colored it in before. This side is our obedience. And we've been talking about how once you've done that, your obedience maybe go up and down. Like, we've, you know, this side can go up and down. And your obedience does not change this. Your obedience does not purchase your righteousness, does not purchase your forgiveness, does not purchase your reconciliation. It does not make God more for you or more against, more or less against you or for you. It does not make God love you. It doesn't make you more or less a child or a son, or a son or a daughter of God. And so, this, if this is your obedience side, this goes up and down. This never goes up and down. This is always full. This is who you are in Christ. This is your standing with God. But Peter's saying, okay, now what do we do with this side then? This is our obedience then. This is who we are in Christ. And we trust in God. What do we do with this side then? This is what we do. Is it like, okay, cool. I can just do whatever I want. If that doesn't go up and down, I'm always righteous, always forgiven, always reconciled. God's always for me, not against me, fully loved. And God's family, no matter what I do. I can just do whatever I want. I can just sin. I can just fail as much as I want. God doesn't care. I can just have a merry old life. Jesus paid it all. We talked about last week. I said God has given you a prepaid, like a prepaid phone card. Jesus has already paid for it. He's already prepaid for your failure in this relationship. So now, just fail as much as you want and not care. Is that what we're supposed to do now? That we just do whatever we want? If God, if none of this changes when we fail, that's um, if grace has covered everything. Peter and the whole Bible would say, "No way! The gospel does not stop there." Peter would say, "Look, Jesus gave Himself for you to set you free from the penalty of your sin, but He also gave Himself to set you free from the power of sin. You're no longer under its power." Sinful desires no longer have control over you. You've escaped that corruption. And so make every effort to supplement your faith with godly qualities. So by faith, you've received all this. You've come into relationship with God. You've received that. Therefore now, no condemnation. So what should be happening on this side? Even though the ups and downs for obedience do not change this, what should we be doing? And that's why our big idea is this. Jesus... It's all you need to be like Jesus. So now, on this side, make every effort to become like Him. Your failures in that do not change this, who you are before God. You're adopted child of God, righteous, forgiven, reconciled, God's for you, not against you, you're fully loved. But we still make every effort in what we do to become more like Jesus. And these qualities that Peter lists describe someone living a godly life. These qualities describe someone partaking the divine nature and leaving the corruption of the world with its sinful desires behind it. These qualities describe some... They describe Jesus. And the right side of this box, uh, if we're obeying, you know, once we come to Christ, it's like, okay, let's just imagine your life was up up here in terms of, like, righteousness when you came to Christ. It shouldn't be like, sweet, I came to Jesus, now I'm forgiven of everything. Your righteousness living shouldn't now go down... Because you're like, I can do whatever I want now because look at all this stuff. If any, and, it, and Peter's saying, it also shouldn't stay the same. You shouldn't be like, well, God doesn't care. Peter's saying, if anything, you should be making every effort. You came to this relationship through faith, received all this. Now you should be supplementing your faith. And of course, it's not going to look that, like this, a line like this. Often our growth in Christ is more like a, kind of like this. The ups and downs, the squiggly curves. 
He's saying, if anything, you should be looking to supplement your faith when you enter and be growing in Christ-likeness uh, as kind of this upward, becoming more godly and growing in how much you look like Jesus and your dependence on the Father. And so what is, but in our failures in that, it still doesn't change this, that we're righteous, that God's for us, we're reconciled, we're his children. And so what are these qualities that uh, Peter lists? First he lists, supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue was mentioned up in verse 3, when it was describing Jesus, except it was translated as excellence. It said Jesus it said glory, he called us by his glory and excellence. Same word there. Uh, and this talks about high quality moral character. And some people would translate it as goodness. There's a there's like a moral attractiveness to a person who has this quality. Think of someone who draws you to them because they're, they're so good and so wholesome. Uh, and I, the, kind of the person I thought of first was, um, like there's a movie just made about Mr. Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. But I think, and a lot of people would say, oh, Mr. Rogers, he's like a really good guy. But even Mr. Rogers, I think a lot of times when people think of him, it's kind of like, oh, that's kind of what Jesus was like. He was like this... Super kind, like would never hurt a flea. When you read the Gospels, Jesus, people, people from all over the world, people who don't typically read the Bible, but would say like, Jesus, he's a really nice guy. We all need to be more like Jesus and just accept people for who they are. When you read the Gospels, uh, Jesus was super loving to people who were very needy and repentant of their sins, but he was also very firm with people who would not recognize uh, their own sinfulness and neediness before God. Especially, we just read in our statement of faith of how we uh, are needing to stand up for the oppressed and people who are experiencing uh, injustice. Jesus was very stern with people who were being hypocrites or who were oppressing people. And so you read the Gospels and you're like, Jesus was not accepting um, of, of all people exactly where they're at. Um, everybody could come to God in His grace. When you read the Gospel, Jesus was very much someone um, who wasn't, uh, who just had uh, this roundness to his character and this full orb of like he's grace and walking, talking picture, flesh and blood, grace and embodying that. But that looks a lot different than we often think of it as somebody who's just like uh, we think, oh, somebody's kind of got to be a um, like a doormat, just like oh, anybody can just come how they are. But Jesus was very much so. Read the Gospels and you can see somebody who. Um, has this high quality moral character like you can come to me as you are I'm going to love you and all your dirtiness and sin but also I'm not going to be washed all over and I'm not going to let a wrong just go come just be uh, just happen in front of me I'm going to speak up and talk about it um, and so Jesus uh, that's what we're called to be like too is virtue excellence of high quality moral character the second add to virtue knowledge this is knowledge of God, his will, and what pleases him. Knowledge of God, his will, and what pleases him. And then to knowledge, we're supposed to add self-control. This is uh, control over ourselves, you know, kind of like self-discipline. And so it's not like we're supposed to just be uh, undisciplined and kind of letting desire or things, just, I just kind of do anything impulsively, but we're supposed to have our desires submitted to Christ. And our desire is actually supposed to be given to us by God. Like if we're worshiping God and being formed by Him, now 
God actually gives us our desires, and they're satisfied by Him, and we desire what He desires instead of what the world desires. We're escaping the corruption of the world with its sinful desires, as Peter said. And in steadfastness, add to self-control, steadfastness, which is perseverance under difficulty and distress, suffering and affliction. And, and self-control, the previous one, may speak to kind of dealing with what's within and having that self-control almost like this, it's almost like a, an inner steadfastness. Like, okay, like I have this control and this uh, strength, this inner of dealing with what's within in a strong way. Steadfastness is like this dealing with what's outside of me in a strong way. And so it's somebody who's uh, measured and able to take both what's inside them and outside them uh, in a measured way. And then godliness, we saw that in verse 3 too, that we've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. Uh, and godliness is this awareness of God and all of life and loyalty to him uh, with reflection of his character. So awareness of God and all of life and loyalty to him with reflection of his character. And then we end with two words that are not the same, um, but brotherly love or brotherly affection, uh, which is a family-like you know, or sisterly affection, but it just often gets translated as this. Uh, family-like devotion and love for fellow believers, that we are have God as our Father, we're called into a family of believers, and now we have brotherly, this affection of like, well, you guys aren't related, are you? Well, no. But all, why are you showing this brotherly love to each other? Why are you showing this family-like love and affection and devotion to each other? Well, because we are family now, in Christ, and that actually the Bible teaches that goes above our biological devotions and affections. That we actually leave if there if there's any time when those two things come in conflict, we're supposed to choose the family of God above. And so now it's like we have this family brotherly affection uh, in the family of Christ that we're supposed to see that uh, God is our Father and to choose Him over our earthly families. And lastly, love, the pinnacle. So it's like starts at faith, the pinnacle is love, uh, agape, self-giving, sacrificial actions on behalf of others that imitate God. And most displayed when we love our enemies is that how do we love people who don't treat us well? How do we treat people um, who deserve the opposite of our uh, self-giving? And this list is an exhaustive in that it's you know every quality that can be listed and it's it's representative, showing us these are the kinds of things we should see. And it's not like okay, this is kind of a progress of like, well, which one am I at? Well, virtue. I guess I'm still working on that, and later I'll work on knowledge and self-control. It's not really a, a, a progress order. There's a sense in which you can't have one without the other. How can you have steadfastness without self-control, and how can you have? Uh, Love without godliness are kind of like intertwined in a way like that, but not necessarily a progress in order. So as you kind of think about your life, we may feel like, oh, where, where am I in this? And we'll get back to that a little later. But we're not going to go through the whole tree how we often go through it. We think about, um, if you want to think about how we can go wrong in this, and how we think about this in our effort. He says, make every effort. And it's like, oh, am I making enough effort? And often we go wrong in thinking about it this way. So it's like, um, 
make effort. No effort. And then uh, God changes me. God does. Maybe you've seen these before. They can be helpful. It's called a quadrant. They're kind of nerdy, but... So sometimes, then you kind of fill in the graph. So sometimes this is where we can fall. So this one follows over. Sometimes we fall in here. Well, God changes me, so it lines up with this. God changes me, and he's the only one that can change me, and so I put no effort in. Well, if anybody's going to change me, so this is, so you, hopefully you can see it, God's the one who changes me, and I put in no effort. Well, so I just, if anybody's going to change me, I just got to have to pray for God to change me. I have this bad habit. God changed me. God gave me the desire to change. God take this bad habit away. God take this sin away. God, I'm having trouble loving my kids, or having trouble loving my wife, or having trouble loving people at work. God, change me. And we just keep just asking God to do it. I mean, praying is an effort. It's kind of like, just throw up your hands and say, God, you're going to have to do it. No effort. We have this other part where we say, God does nothing, and we have to make every effort. So we just never look to God in dependence, and we're just trying super hard. I make every effort. I'm just doing everything I can. I'm reading my Bible. I'm reading books. I'm, I'm making notes. I'm putting reminders in my phone. I'm asking people for advice. And we're never turning to God. God does nothing. We're making all the effort that we can. And so it's like, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. I'm super stressed about it. And we're, nothing's coming of it. And then the other one is God does nothing. And I, and I take no, make no effort. And so it's just like, it's totally stuck. Now, in... Uh, perhaps in the God changes me no effort, God will just do something miraculous, but that's not really how God works in changing us. And, you know, we just want a miracle. Oh, I prayed for God. God, just take this thing away from me. I just, just make me more loving. Okay, you're more loving. That's not how God typically works when it comes to transformation on our character from uh, and then this, make every effort, God does nothing, we don't rely on him at all. Well, that's not how God works either, to change our character, that we just do it with no dependence on him. And then if you think God's doing nothing, so you're not relying on him, and he, you're making no effort, well, God doesn't change us that way either. But where we want to be is, God changes me, that's where the two, two for the, the beginning half of our big idea is, Jesus is all we need to be like Jesus. The first two verses were the gospel. I've given you all you need to be free from the power of sin. And then what does Peter say? For that reason, so make every effort. So make every effort to become like Jesus. We make every effort. God changes me. Jesus has given me everything I need. Jesus changes me. So make every effort. It's both. So it's not a like, okay, like, it's God does it all, or I do it all, or 50-50, well, God's going to come halfway, and I have to come halfway. It's a 100%, 100% relationship. God comes 100%, we come 100%. 100%, he has gone all the way, like, I've done everything for you to change. And I want you to make every effort now. So it's 100%, 100%, both ways. That's what tr- is true. And J- Jesus' power 
on our behalf to give us everything to change is the incentive to get to work, to on changing, being able to change. It's like, uh, and so Peter says, make every effort means make every effort. There's other ways to translate it, which is saying like, do your very best. Do everything you can to change. I've given you everything you need. Now do your very best. Do everything you possibly can to change. Make every effort. There's nothing you are missing in order to, to live a transformed life. And so we would say, well, I do pray. I ask God to change me, and then, you know, I kind of go out and do what I can. No, make every effort. What would, could we do? You know, if you're like, I'm having trouble with anxiety. I'm having trouble with patience. Okay, uh, I made like a list. I could read my Bible, study passages, memorize things about that. I could read a book on the topic. I could ask people for help, for advice, for accountability, for prayer. I could ask them stories. How have you done that? How have you dealt with this? I could, you know, ask community to, like, could you really rally around me and pray for me about this? Uh, you could get other people to do it with you. Hey, I'm, uh, I'm having trouble with this. Would you do it with me and come around me and do this? Uh, you could fast, you know, try to take something out of your life. You could, you could pray. You could set alarms on your phone to remind you about things. You could put notes around the house with Bible verses. You could remove barriers and temptations. You could block temptations from your life. You could make it really easy to do. I have a hard time with this. Well, okay, what things are... In your way of doing it, you could take a class or a course. You could listen to a sermon or a podcast. You could journal. You could use the tree diagram. We've been using go fruit to root. Make every effort. And so it's like, well, I pray. Make every effort, he says. Like, I've given you everything to change. And now, so make every effort. And so there's a metaphor I'd like to use where uh, Katie's parents are sailors. Uh, um, or were, they were sailors, and they uh, they had a sailboat, and they uh, sorry, I just realized that they were sailors. That's really sad. Um, they uh, they were sailors, and so when they uh, they had when the wind was blowing, they'd always check the weather, and um, that if the they couldn't go out unless the wind was blowing. And so they, um, <clears throat> it's like Jesus is saying, the wind is blowing. Uh, so get out there and sail. You can't sail unless the wind is blowing. So, But it takes a lot of work to sail. You need to know a lot of things. You can't just sit on the boat. The wind's blowing. Why isn't it doing anything? It takes a lot of work and skill. And they had to learn to do it. Let's just read the last part of this verse. Verses. He says, "If these qualities, verse eight, if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he is cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election." For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'd love to say a lot about these verses. But in the interest of time, I think the best way to sum it up is to remember the, um, the graphic we I was drawing here. Uh, about 
talking about making our calling and election sure and being rewarded this um, entrance into the kingdom. It's not talking about uh, earning anything. And there's a great quote by a um, philosopher um, who is named Dallas Willard. And he talked about how grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. And so uh, grace is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. And this passage depicts that perfectly, that uh, God's grace in verses 3 and 4, that look at this grace of how I've given you everything for transformation. Grace. Now make every effort. You're not earning your way into this kingdom. And so, uh, making your calling and election sure isn't uh, you earn your calling and election. It's saying, if God has chosen you, you've been called. Uh, but we look at that, the, sick, the, the tree that we've been using <clears throat> these weeks. If somebody says on this tree, I have repented and believed, but you're still just seeing bad fruit in their life. What these last verses are saying is, and they haven't added all those qualities that Peter talked about, what these verses are saying is, and they're only seeing this bad fruit in their life, what these verses are saying is, I'm not sure you've repented and believed. I'm not sure. Your calling and election are not very certain. Because if you repented and believed, what we would be seeing is this good fruit in your life. We'd be seeing virtue, and we'd be seeing godliness. We'd be seeing steadfastness and self-control and love and brotherly affection. I'm not seeing any of those in your life. And God says, I would be seeing those in your life. Maybe you have repented and believed, and you've been lazy and unfruitful. And so your calling and election are a little unsure. And if you want to make that sure, like you need to add these things to your faith. And no, he's not making a judgment. He's saying, also saying that uh, you you are blind, having forgotten your cleansed from your former sins, which is basically saying, you know, like you committed to Jesus and you were baptized as a symbol of your being cleansed from your sins. When you turn to Him, you're forgiven. You died with Him, raised with Him. But uh, it just looks like you're living like an unbeliever who's not forgiven. Uh, and so this doesn't seem like you're, um, doesn't look like you're living out verses 3 and 4. Uh, like you just kind of like, and so we talked about this, but um, if somebody really believes this, in this other box, they'll be saying, they'll be living a life where it's like, yes, the, if they have faith in this, the fruit of faith will be seen in their life. If somebody really has repented and believed and they put faith in all God is, of seeing the faith, fruit of faith in their life. And that's what Peter is saying here. So we've been given um, these great truths about Jesus, that we, uh, Jesus has given us all we need to be like Jesus. And so let's make every effort to become like him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the precious and very great promises that we have from you and in Christ. Thank you for what you've given us to live a godly life. We no longer have to live in the power of sin, but you free us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.